This episode is sponsored by How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. This is the most important course I have ever offered. The conversation about alcohol can be deep and difficult, and it can be a hard one to have with your kids. But this course transforms how you talk to your kids, your parenting, your journey, and it can help you create a relationship with your kids that's built on trust and respect and authenticity. In just a few hours, you'll learn how to talk to your kids about alcohol and most importantly, how to keep them talking. How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol teaches you the biggest mistakes to avoid when it comes to your children and drinking. How to create relationships that are based on mutual trust, mutual respect, and openness. And what I wish I would have known as a kid before my first drink. And so much more. Please don't wait. Go to TalkToYourKidsAboutAlcohol.com to learn more and enroll. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Laura. Hi, Laura. Welcome. Hey. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? So good. So good. So why don't you um, sort of take us back to the beginning in your relationship with alcohol? Where, where did it all start for you? That's a heck of a question, right? Um, grew up in a family of five kids, pretty normal drinking in the family, you know, just parties and whatever. Uh, my dad made this great punch and he would make two versions, one that was spiked and one that wasn't. So it was really easy to sneak the spiked stuff. And usually by the end of one of my parents' parties, the dog was drunk because he'd finished drinking whatever else people had left laying around. A drunk, overweight Labrador is kind of funny, but <laughs> his name was Nicky. He was wonderful. Um, but fast forward years, I didn't drink a lot in college. Um, I drank a lot right after we got married, which was right after college. And my husband was doing training with the Air Force and um, they'd have a party every weekend and my husband would go to sleep and I'd keep drinking with about 20 guys and wake up with a lot of hangovers. Fast forward, we had three kids. My drinking was pretty minor at this point, probably until, oh, about, I was trying to figure out the timeline, probably about 20 years ago. Um, and the kids were growing up, that was going great. Um, I have another business and it's one of those direct selling businesses and you have an upline kind of person. and. My upline was always do it fast, do it fast, do it fast. Well, I'm not a do it fast kind of person. And she never adapted her mentoring style to meet me. And I didn't know that was her problem, not mine for many years. So I thought there was something wrong with me. And the company I was in had a culture of everything's wonderful all the time. And that's just bullshit. Sorry. It's not. There are challenges, life happens, things go wrong. And because everything wasn't wonderful, um, you know, again, there's something wrong with me. And that really got ingrained. Um, I'm probably gonna cry, I always do. And I moved into a leadership position and I wanted it so badly for that external affirmation of, I'm worthy, I'm a good person. I, oh, I'm a leader in this company. And that was, worth so much to me that I ended up $60,000 in debt paying for production instead of actually selling the product, minor details, which, you know, you want to numb that stuff, or at least I did. Oh man. So that was a lot of where it started. And going back to my family of five kids, I'm number four in five years. And so I think some of that, you're not good enough. You're too small. You didn't do that right, et cetera, was instilled at that time just because, and I'm, I don't fault my parents. My mom is 95. She's rocking it. And they did the best they could. And I know that. So that's fine. But it's just, 
the way it happened. And so I turned to alcohol more and more and more to cope and to deal with stuff. And it just <laughs> didn't end well. Um, actually went to rehab about nine years ago, something like that. 28 day thing, you know, how you learn now how not to drink at rehab. Yay. Um, learned a lot about other drugs. Uh, learned you could buy wine at 7-Eleven because I never shopped there. I didn't know that. And that lasted about five months of sobriety until I um, was doing the AA, doing the whole thing, until somebody made me feel like crap for being late to an aftercare meeting. It's like, well, this is more important than everything else. No, it wasn't more important than the 97-year-old I was taking care of. Just saying, you know, and they made me feel like shit. And I bought wine on the way home. And then it's like with the AA model, it's like once you are, have fallen off, you're off. So I drank a lot because I felt like a failure again. Um, and then I found a moderation group online and that eventually led me to Annie. I think it was November of 2019, the first alcohol experiment that I did. And I drank my way through it, mm -hmm. but my brain was starting to shift. And I think I did a total of three experiments. And the last one I did, I remember vividly, by this time I was taking care of my parents. My kids had all launched. My daughter moved home, moved out again. Um, they're great, wonderful, successful adults. I'm, that's, they're my best thing. Anyway, um, um, yeah, the drinking got worse again. I mean, I was taking care of my parents, that's it. I migrated from my home in Northern Virginia to mom and dad's in Las Vegas for almost two years, about six weeks in each place. And I am not proud of the fact that I drank through my father's last year of life, but he got loving care. I was, the person taking care of him before us was my brother and, and his wife, who happens to be kind of a sociopath. Um, it's all about her and there was emotional abuse and theft going on. And so at least even if I was inebriated, I loved him and he knew that. I'm proud of that piece. And he passed away when he was 92. It's three years later and my mom is 95 and still going strong. She's amazing. So that whole caregiving thing added another layer of stress. And I was able to quit drinking after that pretty much and kind of during that it got better and, and it took some time. I joined the PATH after the last alcohol experiment that I did. And that was what made the difference with the group coaching was um, one of the things excuse me, I'm able to do well is open up and be vulnerable on a group call. And um, so I got the help I needed with that and um, haven't looked back. And I, it was so life-changing. That's why I decided to go through the coach training. Oh, I love that so much. It's just so great. So what has been, what has been most challenging for you about um, living out of poverty? Um, you know, once I got to the other side, it's not as hard as you would think it would be. And that's what's so phenomenal. I remember so distinctly sitting at my niece's wedding uh, a little over a year ago. And I've been alcohol free for a little over a year at that point. And my brother's drinking and I have an alcohol free margarita or something. Um, and I drank ginger ale for the toast, you know, no big deal. Um, and he looks at me and he goes, he drinks a pretty fair amount. Um, he goes, don't you miss it? And I'm like, no, I don't. And that was the first time I'd really verbalized that. And I really felt it in my gut. And if you're going to miss it, you're going to miss it at a wedding reception, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't. 
I didn't at all. And one woman commented on me drinking ginger ale and I and for the toast. And she said, good for you. And I went, oh, thank you. You know. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, the one thing that I have had a little bit of a challenge with is I'm a very emotional person. And so 15, 20 years worth of, of numbed emotions kind of hit me all at once. Yeah. And that happened about three months after my alcohol-free date. And it was like, whoa. And it was right when Hurricane Laura hit. So I'm like, oh, I'm having my own personal hurricane. Okay. And, but knowing that that was a part of the process really helped. Mm -hmm. And having the support systems of the other coaches on the path or the other coaches and the, the alcohol-free community around me, I could get the support I needed to deal with those emotions. And now I take them as they come, which is just a lot better. That's great. And then what, what sort of things were you, like you said that it was not as bad as you expected or, you know, much easier than you expected. What sort of things were you most afraid of before? Well, it was like when I was at rehab, I was thinking about how am I going to deal with this when I get home? Because a lot of my drinking was done by myself in my home office, which I'm in now, which I've worked out of since we moved into this house 25 years ago. And so it's kind of a trigger spot. And some of the things I have to do are a little bit stressful. So it was like really easy to hide booze in here and just have it whenever I damn well pleased. So shifting out of that was a little tricky. And I did drink um, alcohol-free tequila for a while. And I still like that. I go back to it once in a while, but it's kind of expensive. So just it's ritual brand, good stuff. So alcohol-free beverages helped with that because it was like, I felt a little bit like that initial taste of, oh my gosh, it's kind of strong. It's kind of, yeah. And, but no, no other effects. So it, it, and I know it's a placebo thing and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. So what about, you know, kind of dealing with regret? How have you managed to do that? Because it sounded oh, like. Yeah, that's another loaded question. That's been hard because I made some poor choices financially. What I think are poor choices looking back at them. And I didn't really tell my husband what was going on. And uh, we've been married 41 years now. And so I had to have a come clean time. And that was really hard. And I broke trust with him. So that's one of the things that we're still working to rebuild that relationship and rebuild that trust. And I'm lucky he stayed with me because not every guy would have, you know, you got to count the positive stuff too. And just letting him know that it's safe to trust me again. And it's, I'm, you know, I'm not going to relapse again or whatever um, term you want to use, but I'm in a really good place emotionally and he just needs to know that I'll, I'll stay there and he doesn't trust that, which I understand. So that's been hard. Um, I did have the courage to talk to my adult children about how my drinking impacted them. Mm -hmm. And my daughter was the only one who kind of was like, I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what, cause she's the youngest. And so she was home more when I was, you know, started slipping down that slope and, um, but, you know, it, it really didn't make as big of an impact on them as it could have. Um, I kind of missed the mommy wine culture thing that hit after my kids were um, in that, that stage. 
So the biggest stuff has been with my husband. And the thing I say to myself all the time, and I think I heard it from you, Annie, is I was doing the best I could at the time with the tools that I had. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was. And everybody who's listening to this is, because if you could do better, you would. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, and we slip, but that's okay. Yeah, it's so, it's so important to remember that our intentions are, you know, like, they're usually pretty good. Like we don't wake up in the morning and be like, how can I screw everything up today? And yeah. I think it's fascinating to start to think about the idea that like, okay, if our intentions are pretty good, then why is it that we do certain things that we just really don't like doing? Like, and, and we think, oh, well, we're just not strong enough or if it's just, we don't have enough willpower or like we give ourselves all these reasons that are surface level reasons that feel true, I guess. But like, if you really dig into it, if our intentions are good and we find ourselves doing things that we think are terrible, it's not a surface level reason. There's not just a, you know, there's something else going on. There's some other reason we wouldn't just, it's not willpower, right? Like if, if, for instance, I was, it's a silly example, but after the birth of my second son, I got um, I was having this really bad stomach pain and I just kept having this pain and kept having this pain. And I tried to like to eliminate different foods and it was never, it was always surprising. Like I'd eliminate certain things and I think that was it. And then it would come again and I wouldn't have eaten. The, so I couldn't figure it out with elimination. I finally went and got a blood test and it turns out I had an intolerance to eggs and I love eggs. Like eggs were like the perfect protein. I ate eggs a lot. I love deviled eggs. I loved eggs and baked goods, you know, all things. And, but I was like, this is causing me a bunch of pain. And it wasn't even mental pain or emotional pain. My relationships weren't on the line. My, you know, my quest to be a good mom wasn't in question because of this physical pain. It was literally just physical pain, which is, you know, while not fun, it definitely didn't hold a candle to certain emotional pain that I had been in. And it was sad. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. And sometimes I'd forget and have an egg and then pay the price. And I'd be like, oh gosh, I totally forgot. And I was a little bummed, but overall it was pretty easy to not eat eggs. And so if you think of that, like, here's this thing that is this fermented liquid in a glass and it's causing us untold emotional pain. It is literally, we know that it's ruining relationships. We know that it's, you know, affecting how much people feel that they can trust us. We know that it's ruining our health and our wellness and our well-being. We know all these things and we know them to be true. And yet we find ourselves doing it anyway. It's just false and ignorant to think, oh, it's just not enough willpower. I'm just not, you know. Yeah. And I love what I've learned about willpower, that it's a very finite resource and you can't count on it. And we get into what is called decision fatigue, you know, and we think about drinking usually at the end of the day when we've already made a gazillion decisions and we're just like, oh, I think that's easy. And I think our society pro- has taught us that instant gratification, instant gratification. And that's sometimes why we, I think personally for me, I would make those choices and I'm still kind of working on that with food. I want it now because I want to feel better in the moment instead of, what's going to be best for me long-term. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, so true. So one of the the areas of like your specialty as a coach is for caregivers and you just have a yeah. big heart for caregivers. 
So can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, um, caregiving is, it's tough. And it, a lot of it, we were, it's just hard. Uh, It's the role reversal for first things is you're caring for your parent and they used to care for you. And, you know, the first time I saw my dad, when I went to take care of him, he's laying naked on the bed. And it's like, he has a catheter and I have to clean that part every day. And it's like, this is my father. Holy moly, you know, um, just that it, it messes with your mind and you have to kind of wrap your head around the fact that that relationship is just so different and that's okay. Cause you're there and that's what you're going to do. And there were a lot of times where I'd be strong for my dad and I'd go in the other room and cry and fix a drink, you know, and I never let him feel bad about anything that was going on or tried not to, you know, let him feel bad. And we were really lucky though, because even though he had Alzheimer's, he was always kind and gentle and loving and they would change his catheter and he would say, thank you. And that's painful. You could, I could watch him wince and then he would say, thank you. Mm -hmm. So he was an exceptional man in the, the way he treated people. And a lot of caregivers are treated like crap because the Alzheimer's messes with your brain and makes you mean. So that added stress. And then it's a bit like raising kids, but when you're raising kids, ideally they grow up and leave and they're happy, healthy adults. When you're dealing with caregiving, the end is a funeral. And so there's grief involved and which puts a whole nother layer on things. And the year I cared for my dad, it was harder physically. And the year I cared for my mom, it was harder emotionally because we were both grieving. Mm-hmm. And dad had been the kind of buffer between the mom and I are a lot alike. So we get that mother daughter thing going. It wasn't bad, but there were a few times where it was a little bit hard and I wasn't drinking at the time. So I wasn't numbing anything, but the, the stress that a caregiver goes through, I don't think you understand it unless you've been there, done that. And it's a whole nother level of stress than just about anything that I've ever done and been through. And I knew it would be hard, but it was way harder in a lot of ways. And the pre-grieving that you experience when you know your loved one's going to pass is, yeah. And we were fortunate also that dad passed away before the pandemic. So we could celebrate his life the way it deserved to be celebrated. And mom has lived through the pandemic. So mostly at least, who knows? But I can't imagine the families that have gone through uh, a loss during these last couple of years because you can't do the normal whatever that, and for most people it's getting drunk, um, with the funeral and, and the wake and all of that, which, uh, yeah, our family was kind of like that too. And I was still drinking then, so it was a good time. Um, but the stress of caregiving is something that I really deeply understand. And you can stop drinking while you're doing that. It's just, you got to find ways to deal with that stress in healthier ways. And um, I've been kind of researching some of those and looking at those and looking at caregiving groups and looking at the types of stress that they have and the types of support that's available. And it's out there, but you got to find it. And that can be a little tricky. And that's something that I, I would tag team on you with if, if you, you know, wanted to work with me. I'm going to help in that respect also, because we've got to deal with the source of the stress, right? 
And that's a piece of your healing journey too. And I named my business Compassion with Laura because that for me is the heart of the whole thing. And that's something that I'm really good at is being compassionate. And I've actually learned to be compassionate toward myself now, finally. But that you've got to start there. You've got to, because otherwise it's just, you're going to keep beating yourself up. And when you beat yourself up, you want to drink more. And it's that cycle that is just really hard to get out of without compassion and love for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, what about, what about, can you talk a little bit about, you know, being alcohol free and grieving? Cause I think so many people are afraid of oh. as such a trigger. Yeah. I miss my dad and um, it just pops in occasionally when whenever. And I think that's part of the process. They talk about time healing all wounds. And I, I, that's not true. It's processing the emotions Mm. that helps. And it's just saying, you know what, I miss him and that's okay. Mm. And letting yourself feel those feelings, maybe talking to somebody else who knew that person, um, maybe journaling, maybe looking at old pictures of, you know, I have some pictures of my dad when he was young and he was a hunk. He was a good looking guy. You know, it's just those ways of I'm tearing up again of letting those thoughts be okay. And I don't care how long of time has passed. I don't think you're ever done grieving. I think it's just still part of you. And maybe I'm more sensitive and more, um, more emotional than most people, but maybe I'm not. So however it hits you, you have to find ways to deal with it. And maybe a therapist can help. Maybe a grief group can help. Um, Those are going to work for different people and not for other people. It just depends on you, but you need support. However that looks. And I need a tissue. Thanks so much for sharing. And I think that that's just so incredibly true. Like, you know, I, I think it was Byron Katie that I heard say an emotion fully felt changes and it doesn't go away, but it, it kind of transmutes into something that it can strengthen us and it can allow us to find more meaning in life and to be stronger and uh, more present and more grateful and all of those sorts of things. But when we don't allow ourselves to fully feel it, it, you know, it just stays stuck. And those that stuckness can, can manifest in just reactivity and inability to cope. It comes out in other places. Like it doesn't go away. And so when we run away from the really hard, intense feelings, because we think we can't handle them, uh, everybody who I've spoken to, who has allowed those feelings and not numbed away from them and not tried to run away from them is really grateful for the journey on the other side. They won't tell you it was easy, but they'll tell you yeah. that they're grateful. They did it and had it and for what it has, the meaning that it's been able to create in the rest of their lives. Yeah, definitely. And however processing that looks for you might be different, you know, and then, then it looks for somebody else because we're all different and we all have different coping skills and different, you know, everything, everything is different for each individual person. And that's the other piece to remember too, is that you are uniquely human and you're perfect the way you are, especially when you're imperfect yeah. and mess up because we're all going to, because we're yeah. human. Yeah. 
That's so good. I love that. Yeah. Well, Laura, let me ask you the question that I ask at the end of the, well, let me ask you two questions. First of all, where okay. can people find you? Where can people find you at Coaching Business? Compassionwithlaura.com. And I have a Facebook page and a website and it's kind of a work in progress, but it's enough for you to get in touch with me. So, um, and I'm also listed on uh, the Snake in Mind as one of their coaches. So, um, and it's just been, it's been such a joy for me to get to coach you, know you, go, go through the process with you, watch you grow. Um, it's been really special. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I always liked being able to ask questions and open up to the group and Annie knows I'm telling the truth about the vulnerability thing and always <laughs> crying she's yeah <laughs> I've got this reputation <laughs> which is okay I think that you know vulnerability whether it's just being fully ourselves wearing exactly what we want being emotional being like laughing and sarcastic being you know too much whatever it is whatever it is to to lean into being fully you it just gives permission to everybody else to be fully yeah and that's what I hope to be able to do for people is just by sharing my story letting you know that you're okay too and if I got through this you know, then you can too. I love that so much. Well, Laura, let me ask you the question I, I finish up with, which is if you were going to go back in time, you know, especially to the Laura who was caretaking and still drinking. And I know you've, you've processed so much forgiveness for that, uh, which is beautiful. And I've been able to have a front row seat to that, which has been amazing. But if you were going to go back now with everything you know now and the compassion you now have for that woman who was doing the best she could with the tools she had, you know, what would you tell her? Oh, it's funny because I thought about what I would tell my younger self, but I hadn't thought about what I would tell myself in the middle of that. Maybe just that I would get through it and it would be better because I don't think I knew that at the time. There was one, um, I went back through some journal entries and I had several that were titled whack-a-mole, you know, that game where you're hitting things and the next thing pops up. Yeah, that was my life for probably about six weeks straight uh, with the health challenges that my dad was having. It's like we'd get one thing taken care of. And that would have been a whole lot easier to manage without the alcohol piece. I have compassion for the self that was there before. I think that's the biggest lesson is the self-compassion and the self-love, which has taken me a long time to find, which is kind of sad, but I'm glad I found it. Mm, I love that so much. It's so great. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Laura. Thank you for coming on and sharing. You're welcome. It's just been wonderful to get to know you even better. Yeah, I like that. Thanks. Wouldn't it be great if our children never had to go through the pain and challenges that we faced in our own relationships with alcohol? That's my greatest wish for my own kids, and it's why I created the most important course that I've ever offered, How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. Now, even if you've struggled with alcohol and you're not sure what to talk to your kids about it, or if you want to create a relationship with your children that's based on mutual respect, mutual trust, and open communication, if you know that this conversation might be one of the most important you'll have with your kids and it just can't wait any longer, then this course is for you. It includes lifetime access to six video modules, a bonus recorded Q&A session where I answer questions from parents live, just like you, an interactive workbook, and our private and exclusive How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol online community where you can connect with others who are also navigating this important conversation. Visit talktoyourkidsaboutalcohol.com to learn more and enroll today. 
And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.